Welcome back to episode 14 of the Certain Uncertainty Podcast. This is now our first official podcast episode with video, and we are super excited because this one marks a special point in our journey here with one of the most unique formats of podcasts we've ever come across and we've developed, and we're super excited to get through this episode and give it to all of you. So as we get started on that, the premise of this podcast will be to build your own adventure. And the way this will work will be John and I going through a series of questions, diving into the reasons of how humans make decisions and why we come to the conclusions about the way we do things in society. There is a couple different ways you can listen to this podcast. As always, we have Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube. But for this one specifically and the way this format will work, we highly encourage you to listen through YouTube. The way the podcast will work is John will, f- will first start off by asking a question and we will describe the options for answering that question. And eventually it will go through a series of branching patterns all the way down to a conclusion where we will then discuss how this conclusion and the implications of these of these decisions impact our lives and the, the structure as a whole. For those listening on Spotify, we will do this in a linear format so you can also go through and listen in one go and get all of the different branching conversations as we go through. And if you want to take more of an interactive role as you listen to this, we highly recommend YouTube where you will be able to interact with the podcast video and click through the different series of questions depending on your own answers and essentially build your own branching pattern as you listen to it as a listener. So we're super excited. I think with that, we can get started. All right. Yeah, let's jump right into it. And I think that was a great way to kind of disclose how this episode works. And and in some fashion, this is really an idi- idiosyncratic listening experience is really our goal is to get you listening to things that are relevant to you. Um, too often, I find that we get distracted with problems that actually don't affect us. So we're trying to, I guess, remedy that through a kind of revolutionary style of podcast here. And we'll see if it's actually revolutionary. Maybe people will hate it. Maybe they'll love it. We'll see. So the first question, and, and this is kind of our, our a starting junction. Um, the, the real goal with this question was to figure out what is the fundamental question that divides human behavior into, I guess, dichotomies of meaning. And what I mean by that is, how are the different purposes of individuals impacted by this specific question? Um, and so the first question is, are you a conformist? And maybe, Joe, you can jump on this conformist idea uh, and exactly what we mean. Definitely. So the way we're kind of thinking through this is not necessarily a definitive yes or a definitive no. And the way we're going to set up these answers when we ask you a question will be for you to either choose most of the time or not really. And as a general guiding principle, as we ask these questions, we'll talk through some of the answers for what each of those mean to give some context and also give the listeners time to kind of think through themselves and determine whether or not they feel leaning one way or the other. And for this first question, are you a conformist? We think for yes, it is the the mental patterns of looking at the surroundings, the environment, the society, and the rules in which we live in. And are you looking to engage in those structures that exist? Are you looking to live a lifestyle and a career and a development that doesn't necessarily go against the grain or is trying to actively change something within this network, but more so looking at the rules and established ideas that exist and finding how your lifestyle fits within those. And there's most definitely nothing wrong with either answer at all. And we can obviously take this in many different contexts. In what what region do you want to consider 
conformity? Is it through the educational level? Is it through the environmental level? Or is it the full career development and lifestyle that you do or do not agree with some of the norms and cultures in which you live in, and you're looking to build a lifestyle that kind of goes uh, counterintuitive or, or at least perpendicular to the development of which um, the majority of people do live their life. And I think if you look at conformity versus nonconformity, it most likely comes down to the majority versus the minority. And if you think that the way you live and think is more on the minority side, you're probably leaning toward nonconformity. Yeah, yeah. And one, one thing I wanted to highlight on this question is that conformity at some basic level here is describing micro forms of conformity because at a cultural level we do have some resonating social fabric that we all agree on we don't we we don't kill each other right we we agree that there is some kind of social contract that we abide by and and that's not necessarily what we're referring to um more so in terms of standards and rules through like you said different careers and you know specific social scenarios you know are you a rule breaker in those micro transactions of behavior really i think is where we're going and so um you know make your answer and uh, i guess right now is the time to decide so pick one of these options up here and you'll be redirected to the next point of the branch okay so moving on if you said yes to the are you a conformist question the next question we have to ask is do you conform for collective benefit rather than individual benefit? And without getting too detailed, really what this is asking for is, are you following the rules because it's something that you want to do, as in you feel good that you know, you're know you in this niche sector and it makes you feel elevated in your social scenario and so forth? And I would describe that as an individual benefit. A collective benefit is saying, okay, well, you know, I don't necessarily agree that I have to act in this specific way, but I'm going to act this specific way because it builds this kind of harmony with my other peers and so forth. Maybe that's in an educational setting or so forth. And so I would describe, you know, that's the dichotomy, the collective versus individual. I don't know if you wanted to add anything on to that. Sure. So this, this next layer, as we kind of go through each layer of the branching, is asking or going deeper into the whys. So if you said yes into... Uh, leaning more toward conformity for most of the decisions that you make in your lifestyle. Now, when you ask yourself that question, why or what is your motive for doing so? Is it for a collective benefit and supporting the community around you, looking to engage deeper with your surroundings and your environment? Or is it more of an individual desire to want to conform to the rules that you see available? And I think now it's time to decide. All right. Go ahead and make your decision. Okay. So if you said most of the time yes to the collective benefit for why you are conforming, now the next question is... When building relationships, do you sympathize with others more than you empathize? So I think breaking down this question one more time is looking at the way humans interact in a new society and as we move around in a constantly changing and ever kind of mixing pot style of an environment of diversity of people, of backgrounds and of lifestyle, it's interesting to ask yourself the question of how you build relationships with others. And when we were going through trying to evaluate through history and up until modern day, how human beings build relationships with, relationships with one another, looking at those who somewhat follow the rules of, and structures of society and do so for the benefit of their community and for the greater environment around them, now looking at those decisions and relationships as being a form of sympathy versus empathy, where sympathy is 
we have a relationship based off of the actual shared experiences that we have instead of empathy, which is I fully feel or I'm trying to feel as best I can and understand the background of experiences that you have and create a relationship off of that. So they are distinctly different in the way that you engage with other people in your surroundings. Yeah. Yeah. More or less. And and so I think one key thing here is that you can understand someone's emotional experience without actually having to go through the exact same steps. And if that is more so of your, of your suit, I would say you're more of an empathetic relationship builder. Um, and then sympathy, right? More so, did I have that exact same emotional experience? And then can we share some kind of bond over that? Um, and so with that, I think it's time to decide. So pick one of those guys there. Okay. So if you said yes to the, do you sympathize with others more than you empathize question, the next question in series is, do you exercise selective altruism? And so as you've noticed, maybe these, these questions are somewhat getting a little bit more niche and a little bit more complicated. And that altruism is, is kind of a tricky beast to tackle in itself, but we're going to try to describe altruism um, and then what it really means to have selective altruism because it's a little bit different. Um, so maybe you want to jump on just kind of a general note as to this idea of altruism and then we'll get into the selective aspect of it. Sure. So when looking at altruistic personalities or benefits, there's a lot of philosophical questions of asking whether or not true altruism actually exists or if there is eventually some sort of a selfish gain at the end of the day. And for those types of discussions, we'll kind of leave those leave those more to the fringes. But for the general contexts of do you exercise selective altruism, meaning altruism is the efforts and energy and time you give to giving back and helping to better the community around you or the environment or just in general, how you use your efforts and responsibilities available to you in order to create greater good in your environment and your surroundings. And the reason we found this question interesting is because as someone who goes down the chain of conformity for the collective good and sympathizes with those in their community, meaning that you've had the same or similar shared experiences, while helping or looking to make an impact in this community, are you exercising selective altruism? Meaning, do you have a specific community in which you're looking to help with that possibly being a community you're sympathizing with or more on a broader scale, part of your core personality, are you open to helping anyone and everyone who may need help regardless of if you do sympathize or collectivize with their backgrounds? And this question is important because as we look through the, the motives behind people's decision-making in the way we establish communities and help and benefit one another, it's interesting to look back on what would happen or what does happen when somebody comes in and says, I will help anyone regardless of their background, regardless of our similarities. I'm a person who is non-selectively altruistic in my giving versus the, the other format. Yeah, I think that's a, a perfect in a nutshell there. And uh, I think it's time to decide. So if you said yes to that question, that you do exercise selective altruism, we basically put this into the category for the search for meaning of the search for unity. And the reason we, we described this, and this is our conclusion point here, as a search for unity is that 
you're willing to help more or less individuals that share a very similar experience as you. And you're willing to somewhat kind of selectively choose that as there are people that you think maybe that you can help the most in, in some contexts because you've shared so much similarities with them. And so your priority then is to kind of build this, this search for a unity within your own subgroup, whatever topic, identity, or whatever you want to call it. And, and, and so, you know, this is our conclusion point for a, a conforming collectivist sympathist, selective altruist. It is the search for unity. If you said no to the, do you exercise selective altruism question, we call this a search for accept or compassion, right? There's a search for compassion here. And maybe you can talk on this one, Joe, here. Sure. So looking at the, the kind of framework of what it would look like if someone who does not exercise selective altruism, but is looking to live within the, the, the rules and the standards of a community, benefit the community, and then also generally help the greater community, we chose compassion or the search for compassion as one of the searches for meaning in the way that you are looking to create relationships and uh, friendships and bonding over uh, an unknown size of group of people. And this, this compassion, which you feel accepted in love, give acceptance in love or assistance into a community is something that we saw aligns very heavily with um, some of the traditional religious backgrounds and practices throughout history in the world. And we know there's, there's a whole aspect of conversations you can have related to religion, but looking at the, the general principles of the, the beneficiaries and benefactors of religious organizations, often it was a general source of unity or compassion in a community where they look to assist those uh, regardless of if they are a member of that particular community or just someone in need looking for help. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's, you know, there's no selective process to it, right? There, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your experience is. At the end of the day, we're still going to basically feel the need or urge to, to give, um, depending on whatever situation that individual finds himself into. And so that's why we say it's a search for compassion. It's, it's, it's arbitrary of, of the idiosyncratic experience of the individual in, in question, receiving the benefit of altruism here. So if you said no to the question, do you sympathize with others more than you empathize? We have reached another conclusion point. Here, you have reached the conclusion point that says your primary motive might be the search for acceptance. And this one's a little bit interesting. So this, this route here ends at a conforming collectivist empathist. And so really this basically means is that we're willing to operate within the bounds of this collective society, but at the same time, we don't need to have the same experiences to cooperate. Um, but at another level, there is this desire to mutually agree upon the value, perhaps, or the validation of these emotional sentiments that everyone feels. And this is the empathetic capacity uh, to understand an, emo an individual's emotional experience, regardless of associative similarities. And so that's why I would say this is more so a search for acceptance. It's like, hey, we're all very different individuals, but maybe there's some way we can come together. Maybe there's a search for acceptance. Um, I don't know if you'd like to add on to that, that conclusion point. No, I think that sums it up quite well. So when we're looking at the, 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 
branching pattern going through the conforming or looking at the rules of society and following these going through the collective empathist so you don't have the same shared experiences but you are emotionally connecting to those who have a set of experiences while looking at building relationships and you fully care about those individuals and are looking to associate with them help with them and assist in in bringing them some some reprieve for the the struggles that they've been through and we see this as the search for acceptance because this is a way that you may not you don't have the same shared experiences exactly but you're looking to communicate and group with those who who have a, a shared set of experiences if you said no to the question do you conform for collective benefit rather than individual benefit well it's actually quite interesting because if you're conforming for individual benefit, would you say you're really conforming? Because at some level, there is an urge not driven by a conforming nature. There is an urge driven by an individual's desired nature. And so it turns out you're not actually a conformist. You're a nonconformist. So now moving into if you said no for are you a conformist or are you an individual conformist looking to or a conformist looking to benefit the individual we now come into the branching pattern of nonconformity with the first question right so are you an agent of nonconformity rather than an actor and this one's a little bit tricky because we used two terms actor and agent in a very specific way I'll let you kind of break it down and we can we can have a chat chat about that. Sure. So starting with the first one, are you an actor of nonconformity? And the way we decided to look at this versus an agent is someone who agrees with and follows the principles of those within the nonconformity ideation or idea uh, segments, but is not looking to actively add, change, or continue to develop the new structures of nonconformity. So they agree with it they live by it or follow it, but they may not be looking to perpetuate it. This is the delineation we saw between actor versus agent. An agent of nonconformity is someone who also actively agrees with and is looking to, to perpetuate the changes of nonconformity based on the structures of which they're looking to go against or change. And we found this very interesting because it, it takes two different types of mindsets and also personalities in a general context to act versus just uh, act or change something and following the rules within nonconformity may be kind of delineated as a form of conformity but we decided to group these in the sense that those who agree with and live within the structures of nonconformity are nonconformists in themselves but they're not looking to actively make changes in this group or further change the the trains of thought that they are already existing in one one example is you have some protest that you want to form. Are you the person that starts the protest or are you one of the people that joins the protest? Right. The person that starts the protest is the agent. The person that joins the protest is the actor. So at this point, it's time to decide. If you said yes to the question, are you an agent of nonconformity rather than actor? The next question in sequence is, do you preach nonconformity to gain personal reputation rather than knowledge. And this one's really interesting too. So, you know, you don't typically think of reputation and knowledge as black and white. And 
the real reason here that we decided to create this dichotomy is that there's different reasons for preaching this nonconformity in the context of how other people will see you preaching that nonconformity. And, and that's that's a really important note because you can really do some nonconformist act really just to gain reputation, to gain a social following because you, you know, are, are against the grain or whatever. And, and that's cool. And that's, that's awesome. This is what makes you a big Instagram influencer. And so I wouldn't say you really preach nonconformity to gain knowledge. It's a reputational thing. And that's totally fine uh, on, the, on the contrast here. The, the knowledge is, is, you know, you are really driven down this nonconformity not for the pursuit necessarily of others in, in an isolated setting. It's it's really more so the pursuit for your own curiosity. It's like, okay, I want to break the rules because there's something unknown here and the rules are preventing me from obtaining that. And so, I don't know, maybe maybe you could chat on this, this reputation versus knowledge dichotomy that we have. Definitely. So we looked at the comparisons between developing reputation versus develop, developing knowledge as a way in which you are either elevating status or elevating your capabilities to affect change. And we found this important when we look at the agents within nonconformity and those individuals with which, with which we think follow that structure in our society as approaching this two different ways. So when looking to further develop your level of reputation, why is this different than developing knowledge? Because with the gain of knowledge, you may say you could also gain reputation, but the motives or incentives behind these are what we found the most interesting, which is when you are looking to affect change in a, in a community of nonconformists, are you doing so in a manner that elevates your own reputation rather than developing or learning new levels of knowledge? Because with new knowledge, you can affect new ideas and new changes. But while developing reputation, you are gaining a status that allows you to influence larger populations within your nonconforming community. I think that wraps it up pretty well there. And so at that, I think it's time to decide. Go ahead and pick one of those options whenever you're ready. Okay, so if you said yes to the question, do you preach nonconformity to gain personal reputation rather than knowledge? The next question is, would you be willing to give up your reputation? To benefit cause. So that reputation that you basically just preached for, are you then now willing to give that up? Um, and, and I think this one's really, really important as it it highlights some some more individualistic desire that that doesn't span anywhere else other than the individual. It's this very egocentric question that we're asking. And we want to basically root out what is the real reason that you've see, sought this reputation? And I and I think we can develop this this kind of incentive structure and then go into the conclusions from here as, as both of them drop into conclusion points. So, you know, did you want to have anything else on that one? Um, sure. So I think the one of the main ideas that we thought of while going through this is if there's an individual who is a non-conforming agent looking to develop reputation, what would be the thought patterns or at least the things that would need to be considered if this individual is willing to give up the reputation to benefit a cause? And if there's anyone in history or in, in the readings and studies that you as the listeners have done that, that comes to mind, it would be fascinating to hear how you perceive this question for yourself or in the people you can identify within society. And looking at those who have given up their reputation for a cause, as opposed to those who have held on to that reputation rather than benefit a cause. There are different motives behind this incentive, or at least this decision, which we found incredibly fascinating.
So with that, I think it's time to decide. Um, so go ahead and pick your option and we'll drop into a conclusion point. If you said yes to the question, would you be willing to give up your reputation to benefit a cause? We describe this conclusion point as a search for legacy. And I'll let you, let you jump on this one first here, Joe. Sure. So looking at those who would give up their reputation to benefit a cause, the search for legacy. So when you think about what legacy is or what it stands for in the individuals of history who have done this, or even for your own decisions, we found legacy as the appropriate pattern or at least conclusion at this point, because those who are willing to sacrifice something for a prolonged effect or cause that is almost outside of their locus of control. Once they've attained this reputation or in a sense power in a community that's looking to go against the norms and ideas that exist and then affect change further, they are making a personal non or a selfless sacrifice giving up that power, but they are also affecting long-term change in a community or in a, in a structure that they are looking to define and build. And legacy is really fascinating because that's something that obviously exists in the hierarchies of history, as well as in the structures with, within which we live today. Um, it's an important and very apparent level of society that exists in the, in the way that developments and power and, and changes continue to stay in the, the realms of ideas of universities and large historical families, as well as institutions and, and corporations that have power and, and influence within levels of legacy. Yeah. And another way to think of this, just kind of in a uh, one sentence, one liner here is sometimes the best way to retain value is to give it up. And I won't talk on that too much, um, but that is at some level counterintuitive for individuals. But I think for people that are in this branch, I think that's something that'll make a lot of sense. Uh, just you know, give up the give up the value. I mean, one one another example, and maybe I'll, I'll tie this in here. Another example that might convince you of this is the idea of George Washington. And so, if you guys, if you all don't know, um, George Washington actually gave up his power after he was elected in office, even though he could have potentially stayed. And everyone else in the administration was telling him that to stay. But what George Washington realized is that the best way to actually propagate this this phenomenon known as the American ideology was actually to release his reputation to the world. And it turned out to be a much more powerful uh, movement in that it basically showed that there was this continuum of, of generations that are coming behind. And it's like, you know, you've had your time in the limelight and it's time for the fresh ideas to come to the surface. And so that's kind of this conclusion point here. So if you said no to the question, would you be willing to give up your reputation to benefit a cause? This leads us into the final point of a search for power. And this one is going to be fun to talk about. Um, so this is a really, really tricky and, and potentially dangerous place to be. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's always bad. Um, it just can lead individuals into somewhat harmful behavioral patterns as they associate with other individuals. I don't know. I don't know if you disagree with that. Uh, maybe we can have a talk about that. But, you know, how would you describe this? You don't want to give up your reputation to benefit a cause. It's like, well, we so, so the goal was to get the reputation and that's fine. You know, I mean, it's good to have reputation. It's good to have fame, right? I mean, that's kind of where it goes here. And, and maybe you can jump on that then. Definitely. So when we're looking at the, the different cases in which this would be applicable, I know there, there are very likely instances where 
giving up or not giving up the the reputation or the the status could still lead to a, a beneficial outcome. And I think when we're looking at these these outcomes, we're looking at more at the general trends, at least within history and then moving forward and recognizing more so what could be dangerous within these outcomes. And I think one of the most um, prevalent ones that we have seen throughout an analysis of history is the lack of individuals or at least those who chose not to give up reputation and power and instead continue their personal gain within a group looking to affect change. There are many powerful historical figures that have uh, manipulated and taken control of these, these new situations and capabilities for malicious intent. Mm -hmm. And it's important to recognize these and reflect on them so that we can recognize these patterns if they ever come up again in the future. And when we look at the, the attainment of power, or at least on that path where you choose not to give up reputation, the reason we kind of see this is as a search for power is because while going through the, the process of developing reputation, joining or affecting change within a community, looking to do something different, and then saying that the, or the logic behind saying that you stepping down can lead to a perpetual benefit of this cause and this individual saying no, shows or indicates that it's not actually the benefit of the the cause or the the goal but more so for a personal more selfish benefit and this is a search for power as they are looking to maintain and develop further control and influence over what they what they've already attained yeah and, and one key note here i, I don't want to be too pessimistic about this category um but but you can validate it in some sense that you know you might not be willing to give up your reputation because you don't trust the authority that will come after you to make the right decisions because maybe there's not necessarily this competence pool of individuals that you know are going to fill your gap and, and and so i can see that perspective but at another level it's it's like well you know there needs to be this this kind of trend of of habitual change in order to really grow whatever whatever ideological constraints you have um and, and so i guess i can kind of see you know where you might be able to think you know maybe maybe it's actually not a good thing to to give up reputation and every single one of these cases is case by case and and so you know that's why i say it's not necessarily uh, the worst thing in the world to just be searching for power in, in, in this context. You know, if you if you really and truly believe in the confidence of your competence, well, you know, I, I understand, and, and and you know, I think that's a good conclusion point for you. The confidence of your competence, right? Isn't that interesting? That's a fun one. Yeah, yeah. So I think now, as we continue down the the branching pathways, if you said no to reputation and instead are a non-conforming agent in the search of knowledge, I think we have a new description and question for this, yeah. this next level. Yeah, let's jump into it. So the next question on this one is, are you willing to pursue knowledge regardless of potential harm? And so this one was really key for us. We, we wanted to understand still what, what risk factors were associated with this decision-making. It's like, okay, there's this, there's this knowledge, there's this curiosity that exists in me, and then there's this knowledge that I want to obtain. How much am I willing to, I guess, give up risk in order to obtain this knowledge space. Um, and, and it's really important because it, it really just shows how much this knowledge means to you. Uh, and, and I think that's a very, very key thing in, in the ideas of figuring out how much knowledge means in, in the grand scheme of everything, really. I mean, how much are you willing to sacrifice here? You know, you have this class that you want to take. Are you going to, you know, skip out on, on a lunch date with your mom so you can go attend this this class that's going to give you this new insight about maths or whatever? You know, and, and so like there's this, there's a central prioritization mechanism that occurs here and we need to know about that and its relationship to knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, do you have anything out of there? 
Certainly. So when we're looking at the pers- the pursuit of knowledge and when we're looking at that comparison between what the risks are behind this newfound knowledge and the personality and again, incentives of why one needs to recognize potential harm or the capability of an idea to have both, both a good and a bad outcome. It's far more common than people probably realize that an idea has two sides at least to it in the way that we look at the the risks and associated with those come from the responsibility the individual holds while looking at this potential harm so i think the first level or layer that we wanted to analyze was if you are looking to come up with an effect change and be in uh, a source of ideation in the search for new knowledge what does this really mean in, in your level of responsibility or when you first even look at an idea and decide whether or not to pursue this idea gauging the potential harm that could come from it. Exactly. And with that, I think it's time to decide. So go ahead and make your choice and we'll continue on. So if you said yes to the question, are you willing to pursue knowledge regardless of potential harm? Then the next question is, are you willing to take responsibility for the potential aftermath of that harm? Um, And this one's very, very important. So after you've perceived or you've pursued this forbidden knowledge, let's call it, do you take responsibility for whatever harms and dangers that then creates in the society and the and the resulting culture and so forth? Um, and and the reason this is extremely important is that you have to be able to a understand what levels of harm it's going to cause in the society, and then B, volunteer that, hey, I'm going to go clean up that mess that I just created. And, and we really want to know if, if you're willing to go down this forbidden fruit tree or branch structure and then clean it up afterwards when it doesn't work out. And, and, and this is really a very interesting branch point, I think. And, and, and in terms of decision making, uh, I, I think responsibility taking is so, so, so key and it's very much so embedded. And this is why it's going to be a conclusion point here, um, depending on whatever you answer, because this responsibility thing is just very, very key. And maybe you can talk on that a little bit. So I think we we chose this as one of our one of our endpoints in the branching chain because the decision of whether or not you want to choose to accept responsibility for the potential repercussions of an idea or knowledge that you put forth into the world is unbelievably important and it always has been although we feel that it's lost some of its uh, associated value in modern society news forms of conversation the way ideas are spread around it's far too easy in the the level of which we communicate now which is primarily digital with a digital persona, new media, and new speed at which you can perform levels of communication and spread ideas that the majority of people are likely to not take responsibility for the aftermath of their actions and ideas. And this is this is this part is dangerous and it's incredibly important to recognize that once an idea is put forth or something is said or or kind of put into effect to create change, there are responsibilities associated with it. And the reason we reiterate this so strongly is because the way ideas are formulated and perceived, you really have to look at the intent versus the impact. And this goes through many, many different levels of interpersonal relationships, extrapersonal relationships, and then looking at the the grander level of people that you will never know, but you are giving information to or sending new ideas and you have to think about the possibility that there are people who could either misinterpret or misuse the information that you are creating and it's a slippery slope that's right 
So with that, I think it is time to decide. So go ahead and pick one of the options. If you said yes to the question, are you willing to take responsibility for the potential aftermath? Well, we have reached our conclusion point for this branch in that our point here is that you are searching for diversity. Um, and, and this one's interesting because it really just means that you're looking for different ways of existing, really. Uh, at, at a very basic level, you're looking for some new type of quality that you can jump on. Uh, what what would happen if if all of a sudden we introduce cell phones into society? Oh well, hello, 2007 and and uh, the smartphones and so forth, and we have this whole new change of diversity and ability from there. You know, um, now 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 the key here is that you have to take responsibility for whatever potential harm is, so that way that you don't produce these irreversible damages and essentially make your species go extinct on a large scale, which can be very bad. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why we say it's it's a search for diversity when you're making sure that you want to be responsible for those knowledge pursuits. Um, you're you're trying to expand the influence of the human condition, not trying to mitigate it. Um, yeah. Anything out there? Yep. Yeah. So when we look at uh, the word choice here and looking at a search for diversity is is synonymous or potentially paralleled with a search for existence. And as we look for instances where you need to take responsibility for the potential aftermath of your idea and you take responsibility for where these decisions can take uh, society as a whole, the iPhone example is incredibly interesting, or at least the smartphone example is, because there is a discontinuous change in how adolescents and young uh, young teens have learned to grow up and interact with people in society with the ever more present um, accessibility of technology in their life. And without trying to sound too old, it is interesting to look at those who are now born post 2000 or even post 2005, 2010, and the personality differences that already exist are at a rate which is almost within a discontinuous change from those age gaps from say being born in the mid the mid 1990s or even the 1980s and then in the reverse so when you look at say an individual born in 2000 versus 2010 versus 1990 that 10 year gap is looking at almost a discontinuous level and without going further down that that idea pathway um, it's a search for diversity and existence yeah i think that's good so if you said no to the question, are you willing to take responsibility for the potential aftermath? Well, we decided that this conclusion point is a search for anarchy. And you might be saying, well, isn't that bad? And at some level, yes, it can be. Um, and I, I won't sugarcoat it here. I, I, think, I think if you're not willing to take responsibility for the potential aftermath of something, then that is very, very bad in a large scale society and culture. And I don't think it should be condoned. I, I, I honestly just think that people that jump down this branch are, I mean, honestly, in large part and parcel, the reason so much polarization occurs in, in, in the society we know of today. And it's that these individuals are, are, are trying to propagate some kind of new idea, which is cool, right? But then this new idea comes to fruition and it causes all these problems. And they're like, well, you know, we got the new idea out there and it's according to my ideals. And so that's just part of the process. And I'm like, no, this is causing a whole bunch of problems now and you have to step up. And if you're not, I would say you're trying to destroy something that, that exists. Um, maybe it's, it's destroying some kind of traditional capacity. Um, and, and the key here is that 
whatever knowledge you're 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 pursuing here and not taking responsibility for, there is a net negative uh, risk. There's a net negative harm here that you're not willing to take responsibility for, and, and I think that's the key. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, it has to have, you know, some some severe negative impact to really be that search for anarchy, I think. Well, I think that one of the interesting comparisons, or at least something that really stood out to me, is the the level of presence of digital apologies. And I think that is super interesting to see as, as a child of the internet who grew up in the age of the internet really integrating into standard normal life, is seeing those people who were the mass individuals of the internet and of YouTube and the news and Instagram and almost almost everyone that I could think of that made it to the the super status of internet culture at one point or another came out with some form of digital apology for something that they said or did or meant or intended and and it's it's shocking to me to see that is it a level of responsibility or is it this comfort and ease with which they just start cannonballing ideas into the ether for people to pick up and have a following that follows them nearly as close as if they were to live together and then taking these ideas and then you have this you know outrage where you need to backtrack and you need to apologize and you have to say something and and there's this um super spotlight where you have to come under and say um all of your intentions are, are very pure and clear and right, this is what you meant. And I mean, however it is, maybe they did genuinely mean something different than how it was, um, how it was said, or they didn't know enough. It's really interesting to see though, how you, you have to set this precedent now where it's a, it's a digital ledger of your, your level of genuineness and integrity and looking at individuals who are willing to just send ideas into the ether in existence and not have any consideration for the potential repercussions or even when those repercussions happen do not take responsibility for it does create a level of anarchy in those who receive this information and that's a really interesting kind of conclusion to come to i, I think you, you made a really good point there these digital apologies i in no way shape or form is an apology a a method of taking responsibility. A, a method of responsibility comes with some level of action. It doesn't come with, you know, I mean, I, you could say an apology comes with an action, but there's no subsequent action that actually fixes the aftermath or damage or anything like that. It's just like, sorry, it's all screwed up now. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like, okay, well, get off your ass and like, let's go fix this, right? And it doesn't really end up happening. Um, anyways, that's the search for anarchy. So now going back down the branching chain and looking at if you said no and you are not willing to pursue the harm of knowledge. So you are a non-conforming agent pursuing knowledge, but not willing to pursue if it, re if it results in a harmful outcome or potential outcome. And we saw this as an individual who was willing to pursue uh, great knowledge or change with a regard to higher priorities within that knowledge. And this could be not touching taboo topics or not delving into a realm in which there could be, you know, potentially dangerous repercussions. And this has so many possible avenues with which you could go down. One of the most prevalent, at least within our realm of studies, is the ideas of, of gene editing and how there's a lot of bioethical decisions that can be made and, you know, what level could you go down a gene editing pathway to make designer babies? And then in the future, will there be biocasts and all of these sorts of ideas? And this is kind of the realm with which we found these decisions. Yeah. And so I, I don't know if you said it, this is the conclusion point, the search for stability. Mm -hmm. This is the 
the path that doesn't necessarily care about humans' growth rate necessarily. They care about humans' survivability, right? You know, they 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 have some intuition that there's going to be some knowledge that pops up throughout time, and they're willing to to neglect some knowledge and, and some you know hyper progression if it would mean that you know the whole species is going to collapse because of it, right? One one, one big uh, conception you might have for for individuals here in this branch is you know the looming threats of artificial intelligence and the automation of the human condition as we know it. You know, in, in, in the eyes of someone down here in this branch, it might be like, well, AI is a little bit too dangerous to touch um, in that it might actually place the work done by our society and allocate it to robots as opposed to humans. And that's going to displace a whole bunch of jobs. And I won't get into it because there's lots of contradictions um, that are I should, I should not, not contradictions, but conversations that form there um, that are that are, you know, have two, two sides of the coin. And so I won't jump into it. But for the most part, uh, this is the search for stability. Um, okay. So now moving back up a little bit, all the way back up to one of the first questions we asked the nonconformist branch, are you an agent of nonconformity rather than an actor? And if you said, not really, you're an actor. Well, turns out you're actually not a nonconformist. Um, and this ports you over into the conformist branch. This is our final paradox of the branching pattern. So if going through these questions and you said that you are a nonconformist, but are an actor within conformity. This is the paradox that we kind of touched on earlier that are you conforming within a group of nonconformists without actually affecting the change? So with this, we say reevaluate the levels of discussions and answers we go through, and then we port you back to yes, conformity within the nonconformists. Right, right. And so if you said not really to the question, are you an agent of nonconformity rather than an actor? The next question is, when building relationships, do you sympathize with others more than you empathize? And with that, I think that concludes our episode today. This wraps up the episode and we are super excited and curious to hear how all of you perceived yeah. the levels of which we went through these ideas and want more than any of the other episodes to open up a forum of discussion and feedback for how you go through these, these questions and ideas and reflect upon them for yourself. And then going forward, um, how we can create new formats and ideas for interactive podcast audiences, as well as discussions and forums. And we will continue to delve into these topics and ideas and questions, trying to better understand how we as people and as humans make decisions and why these are important questions for us to answer and understand within our short little lives on this, this planet. Yeah. And, and, and keep in mind, you might identify a search for something that we didn't actually cover in this podcast and that's fine. Let us know. And, and, you know, maybe we'll have to adjust our branch structure a little bit and, and that'll be great. That'll be a lot of, a lot of interesting diversity exploration there. So with that, I think that ends up our episode 14 search for meaning episode. So thanks everyone. Thank you. And I hope you enjoyed.